Welcome in, everybody. Welcome to the How Not to Be a Youth Pastor podcast, the podcast where everything's made up and the points don't matter. That's right. The points are like, I think I used that one before, telling telling the uh, middle school boys to put deodorant on. It doesn't matter. They will be stinky in 12 seconds. Or middle school girls. Sometimes girls are worse than boys. Yeah, that's very... it's made up and the points don't matter. That's right. The points are like telling middle school girls not to talk about boys during their connect group oh, time. Oh, baby. There we are. Uh, it doesn't matter. They're going to do it anyway. <laughs> Welcome in. Uh, this episode apparently sponsored by Reese's. Go get yours today. That is so not their <laughs> slogan. <laughs> no. I, I, I don't know what their slogan is. I couldn't think of it. I've I've seen so much Reese's marketing recently where it's like they literally just say Reese's, 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 Reese's. Like they just keep on. They they do have the uh, not sorry slogan that they are running not with sorry. right now. What? Yeah. I haven't heard of that. It's like Reese's, okay. not sorry. So, so I kind of picked up my wife last episode. I didn't mean that. I mean, she's amazing, <laughs> but I'm going to pick on her again. Um, so... To this day, my wife calls them Reese's. Reese's. Yeah. And I it I'm always gonna be team Reese's. Well, see, here's the irony in it is that Reese's works really well because then it rhymes. Reese's. Like you have the Reese's pieces. <laughs> but it's not pieces, it's pieces. Which pieces <laughs> rhymes with what other word? <laughs> Reese's. Like the rhyme is already there, but you get people that change both words in order to make it rhyme somewhere else. Reese's Pieces. Have you ever heard that before? All the time. Yeah. Oh, I love Reese's Pieces. You're like, listen. It's Reese's It was so pieces. much easier than you made it. The rhyme was already there, and you felt you had to change it. Dude, I never put that together. Uh, welcome into the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. We're so glad you're here. On today's episode, we're talking about candy controversy. <laughs> How did. do you pronounce it? We did have Holy Spirit controversy last episode, so we had to, we had to throw in some controversy at some point because what we're going to talk about, I think, from this point on, is very non controversial but yeah on on future episodes we're going to be talking about brand names mispronounced such as adidas and porsche adidas and hyundai do you say porsche or porsche porsche it doesn't matter i never use the word because i'm not rich okay but since since we're now 10 minutes gone not your far, but sense of time is yeah. terrible today. Impeccable. Okay. <laughs> um, so there's a car manufacturer. It's got four rings all in a line. It's spelled A-U-D-I. How do you pronounce that? Uh, I would say Audi. Audi. That's how I pronounce it as well. But apparently it's pronounced Audi. All right. I don't, I don't know that I have like we we need we need like I think I think Audi is German. Um, we need someone who lives in Germany to tell us if it's Audi or Audi. So if you're a German out there, right into the show, right into the show, please. How not to be a youth pastor at gmail.com or on Instagram. How not underscore yp. Thank you for listening. Uh, I'm throwing a. Apparently Nike 
is on the so they somebody did an AI generated search of Google results to determine which global consumer brands were giving people the most trouble when it comes to pronunciation. Number one on the list is Porsche, which apparently is correctly pronounced Porsche. Uh, Nike is number two. No. People probably call it Nike. Think? Probably, yeah. Nike, which just sounds terrible. That, that makes me want to throw up. As is, someone who like sports a lot of Nike. That's um, true. I uh good friend of the show. Good Nike. friend of the show, Nike. Uh it pains me to hear Nike. Yeah. Can we continue, fair. please? I feel well, like we are way, way like, even for I don't us, know. There's we're some, way off there's the some ledge. interesting ones on the list. We mentioned Adidas, which I think we are pronouncing correctly. I'm trying to read these phonetic pronunciations correctly. I think it's Adidas. Um, is I think we're pronouncing it wrong. I'm pretty sure it's Adidas. Well, there's no emphasis on here. But uh Hermes or Hermes would be better. It's H E R M E S. I don't even know what they ah. sell. Uh Louis Vuitton is on the list, but apparently it's a W and not a V. Louis Vuitton. Oh. So you learn something new every day. See, now we that's have, a brand I sport a lot. Is Hyundai? We had that one right. You say you support <laughs> Louis Vuitton a lot. <laughs> sport as in wear, not support. Um, I'm looking at a four-lettered furniture manufacturer, IKEA, that according to the phonetic pronunciation might be pronounced IKEA. No, it's not. That's what I'm looking at. The first syllable is E-E. Oh, Ikea. Great furniture. Make sure you have time to assemble. <laughs> you have to uh you have to make sure that uh your patience is also at an all-time high when Indeed. assembling IKEA furniture. But much like your patience has to be at an all-time high when assembling IKEA furniture, your patience also has to be at an all-time high to be married to us. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) When tackling today's subject, because it's not one that changes overnight. How's that? Wow. Well done. Great transition. And so before we dive into it, we are finally getting to the quick question of the of the day. Uh, Derek, what's your favorite and least favorite book of the Bible? All of them. For which category? (laughs) Okay. Uh, in all sincerity, my favorite book of the Bible, this is such a tough question. I would probably say Matthew. Like it's just so comprehensive about the gospel. I just love Matthew. Uh, my least favorite, um, not a huge fan of numbers. That's fair. It's just, it's so long and it's, they use such different measuring standards, like 25 cubits. Mm-hmm. I have a tough time measuring cubits in my cubit? head. Yeah. Yeah. So there's also, I'm surprised you didn't take the liberty upon yourself to do the numbers joke. The yeah. Pickup line. Yeah. We already did that okay. in an episode. Yeah, I won't. I'm glad. I won't go back to it. What about am, yours? I'm really curious because I have about six feet behind me is a message translation of the Bible. I wonder Multiple. if... Multiple. Oh, yes. There's like 18 of them. 
I wonder if they translate, like if they translated the, you know, six cubits to uh, like standards that we would know. Cause the message, like their whole point is that it's yeah. easier to understand and read. So uh, I'll look that up at some point throughout uh, today's episode and, and uh, I'll report on that. Uh, but it's my favorite, least favorite book of the Bible. I'm going to say, I, I love the Matthew uh, suggestion. Um, man, there's a lot of really good ones. I've, I've always suggested James as another one. Uh, like if you are newer in your faith and you're looking for a book to read, James is a good one. Um, I'm going to go out on, did you say, oh yeah, numbers. I'm going to, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that my least favorite book is Revelation. Wow. I, I think it's very interesting to get into, but the reason that it is on my list of the reason I'm highlighting it today as my least favorite book is because of how obsessed other people get with it. Ah, I could see that. In comparison to some of the other 65 books that they, I would rather they be obsessed with. Mm -hmm. That's fair. Yeah. That's That's where, that's where I'm going with. But, uh, we asked this question. Sometimes our quick questions of the day actually have something to do with the episode. Who would have thought, uh, every once in a while, there's actual legitimate planning that goes into our episodes. Uh, and today we are going to be talking about diving into a conversation about biblical literacy because uh, we as a society are not, <laughs> are not great at it currently. Um, so some statistics that I found uh, depressing and then later amusing. Uh, the first ones are depressing. The later ones are amusing. Uh from the uh, the research group Barna, the the Barna Research Group, uh, they do some good work. Uh, they had a study in 2021 that said that 50 percent of Americans reported reading the Bible at least three or four times per year, and in 2022 that dropped to 39 percent. So that's an eleven percent drop in one year I can of imagine. Americans that read their Bible at least three times a year, which is not a ton. No, um, I'm so this is not what I'm supposed to be taking away from this statistic. I was actually kind of pleasantly surprised hmm. by that number. Like forty percent of Americans read a Bible three times a year. Yeah. Like that, I don't know. For some reason, yeah. I, th- I was like, that actually is higher than I think I would have pegged it at. Right. Uh, but as we will dive into, there's a big difference between reading the Bible and comprehending the Bible or living by the Bible. Uh, another stat 10% of Americans read the Bible daily, which is down from 14% before the pandemic. Uh, of course, and, and this is just the youth pastor in me talking. But you have to wonder, a statistic like that, like Christians know you're supposed to, like I should be reading my Bible daily. It's close enough, so I'll just say that it's daily. And so Uh, I have to imagine the real number is a little bit below 10%. Yeah. But that's that's not the point. Um, 6% of American adults hold a Christian worldview. That's frightening. 6%? 6% oh, of American adults 
hold a Christian worldview. I, pres- I presume we're going to get into what constitutes a Christian worldview. Did you gather that based on the next section entitled Barna's questions to determine a Christian worldview? <laughs> I'm going to be really honest. I saw, I completely like my eyes skipped over Barna's. And I wasn't sure if that was your list of questions. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> so I, def- I read questions to determine a Christian worldview and I somehow just missed the big Barna right before so question. So we're coming to that, okay. but there are a few more statistics that I want to share because they are hilarious. Okay. All right. So 60% of American adults can name five of the 10 commandments. Again, maybe more than I thought it was going to be. Can you name all 10? Probably. So you know what? This is something that a whole lot of people don't know. Depending on your denomination, you got a different list. Really? Did you know this? Look it no. up. It's true. Like if you look at like the the Protestant Ten Commandments versus the Catholic the Catholic Ten the Commandments, Catholic. you're gonna get two different lists. Um, it's it's a little it's a little funky. Interesting. Let's look it up. I can't find it at first glance, but I'll, so, I'll keep looking. So I will say like. You know, do not lie, do not kill, do not steal, don't commit adultery, honor your father and mother. I bet those are the five that most people could name. Uh, and then you have to get into, you know, some some different, like like if you had to, you know, if you went six through 10, I think a lot of people would falter. But I, I'd imagine that not 60% of Americans really live out their faith. If especially if only six percent have a Christian worldview, right, right. But I would say that uh, you know, even amongst nine Christians, you know, those are five commandments they might be able to get. Yeah. What'd your research find over there? Nothing. Oh, all right. Came up empty. We should know to leave research to me. I mean, you're you're the one who who researches on the fly. So while you're doing that, I'll I'll share the next one because this one uh, was was pretty epic. 12% of American adults think Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. <laughs> and I can see how that would, uh, I could see how you'd make that bridge to the fact that Noah built an ark and everything right. else. But Joan of the Ark. Yeah. That kind of makes sense, right? The ark is spelled differently. All I right. Think. So here we go. The. Catholic versus Protestant Ten Commandments. This is not something we thought we were getting into today, but that's all right. Uh, So if you look at Exodus chapter 20, uh, which is where you find the Ten Commandments given to Moses initially, uh, you shall have no other gods before me. All right. That's fair. We can get on board with that. Um. The uh, verse four, you shall not make for yourself a graven image. All right. Which Protestant, you know, and and to be fair, both Catholics and Protestants have the same first commandment. You know, no Mm -hmm. other gods before me. Protestants, you know, number two, you shall not make for yourself a graven image. That is not the second Catholic commandment. They kind of lump that in with, having other gods before me. 
Uh, verse five, you shall not adorn them, nor shall you worship them. That kind of, you know, continues that thought. Verse six, uh, hold on. I'm, oh, here we go. Uh, verse seven, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That is number two on the Catholic side, number three on the Protestant side. And at this point you kind of get into, uh, a rhythm, you know, remember, uh, to keep holy the Sabbath, honor your father and mother, uh, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, uh, you shall not steal, and so uh, you shall not speak false testimony against your neighbor. Uh, all of that kind of went in order. So we're down to, you know, speak false testimony against your neighbor is number nine on the Protestant side. It's number eight on the Catholic side. Uh, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. It's number 10 for Protestants. That is number 10 for Protestants, number nine. So that's number nine for Catholics. Number 10 for Protestants is you shall not cover your neighbor's house or you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. That whole thing is number 10. The Catholic Church splits that into number number nine and number 10. Interesting. Yeah. Things you didn't know. I did not know. You thought that all denominations of Christian could at least agree on the Ten Commandments. And they can't. And we can't. Perfect. Uh, anyways, uh, so we talked about Joan of Arc. Uh, 12% of adults think that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. The The last fun statistic, uh, before we get back on track, is that uh, f- this one might be my favorite. 50% of American adults think that Sodom and Gomorrah were married. They weren't. Which, if you are unfamiliar with the story, <laughs> Sodom and Gomorrah are the name of two towns that are burned with fire from the Lord. Love it. So N- Nursery theme. Not quite. <laughs> That's uh, the life motto verse of our kids, of, of every kid's pastor should yeah. be. Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, just some some statistics from the Barna study. And, and our point in bringing some of those statistics up is that uh, we don't know the Bible very well. Uh, and so the one statistic that I think was really, really shocking, 6% of American adults hold a Christian worldview. And so we want to dive into exactly what is a Christian worldview. And so these were, there were nine questions that Barna asked as a part of this survey. And if you answer not yes to all nine of them, then you have a Christian worldview. I see. Okay. So number one, do absolute moral truths exist? Do absolute moral truths exist? For example, murder is wrong. Like, that is that is not up to anybody's interpretation. Like me murdering you in cold blood is wrong no matter what. Number two, is absolute truth defined by the Bible? That had to mess people up, I'd have to imagine. I'm sure it does. Well, I mean, the, even the first one, do absolute moral truths exist? Well, what's true for you might not be true yeah, for me. I identify right. as a cat <laughs> and, and you can't disagree with that. Cause that's my truth. So that's, that's where, you know, that's, that's the demographic of people that gets in trouble. Number one yep. is absolute truth defined by the Bible. That would, that would be up for some people's debate. And these are not, this is not, you know, is the, like, these are just absolute truths. This yep. is not like, you know, more, you know, what you should do. Yep. Number three, did Jesus Christ live a sinless life? 
Number four, is God the all-powerful and all-knowing creator of the universe, and does he still rule it today? Number five, is salvation a gift from God that cannot be earned? I can see that tripping up some people that would call themselves Christians. Mm -hmm. Number seven, is Satan real? I like that question. Quick, short, to the Mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Is Satan real? Number eight, does a Christian have a responsibility to share his or her faith in Christ with other people? And number nine, is the Bible accurate in all of its teachings? And so, looking through that list, I think that, uh, you know, as much as we like to have fun talking about people identifying as cats. I think that the questions that really trip people up as far as do they have a Christian worldview? Number one, is the Bible accurate in all of its teachings? Number two, is absolute truth defined by the Bible? Yeah, that was actually like when you when you're going through this list, I, I was literally thinking in this list, number nine and number two have to be the mm-hmm. ones that really diverted the population. Yeah. And then you can go into, uh, you know, is God an all-powerful and all-knowing creator of the universe and does he still rule it today? Like, that that one, I think, will, will trip plenty of people up. But I think that number two and number nine, is the Bible accurate and is, does it define absolute truth? Those are the those are the two big ones that I think are going to push a lot of people away from what we would define a Christian worldview. And I think it's interesting, noteworthy that those two questions both have to do with the Bible. Yeah. I, I mean it it really is alarming kind of going back to what we even talked about last episode is if if you don't have this foundational life-defining truth that is within scripture, everything is up for interpretation, like every single thing, you know? And so like, you know, I, I know that like you, you made a joke, but like that is a true thing is like truth is something that's subjective and not objective. And in that case, there is no more rule book. You can kill somebody in cold blood. Like if my truth is that's, that's not wrong. There's nothing hold you outside of laws. You know, you'd go to jail and prison for a long time. But, you know, there, there there's from a moral perspective, you can't do anything if, if there's no absolute truth. And I think the scary part for me, Kyle, the part that, you know, this is universal across these stats, it's not getting better in any one of these categories. You know, reading the Bible three times a year, down 39 from 50. You know, reading the Bible daily, down 10 from 14. I don't know what it was before, but 6% of Americans isn't great. It probably didn't. There's not really a whole lot of room for that to have gone up no, recently. <laughs> no, and that And that's the thing is like, it just, it's, it, it's not, it's not uncommon even for um, uh, Americans to have no recollection of the Bible. Like I literally talked to a youth pastor within the month who he had a student who grew up born and raised in his town here in Minnesota who had never heard of the Bible before at 13 years old. Like, that's crazy. These are the things you hear about. Okay, you're you're in some remote visual and you remote village in Ukraine. 
Okay, yeah, maybe they don't know what the Bible is. But imagine a 13-year-old in Minnesota born and raised who has never heard of the Bible before. Like, that's crazy because, like, the baby boomers, the generations like that our grandparents are, the Bible was the bedrock of everything you did. Like, even if you didn't believe in God, you knew the Bible because the Bible was just crammed at you, whether you liked it or not. And so the fact that we've gotten so far from that is kind of crazy in what? three generations removed, four maybe. Yeah. Which is crazy, which to me kind of should really hit youth pastors because we're not that far from hitting zero on some of these. Mm -hmm. And if we hit zero, it's not going well. You know, we're in some really big duty. Yeah. We think that some of these things can only happen, you know, halfway across the world and it's happening, you know, wherever you are, it's probably happening in your own backyard. And so we need, it's something that we need to take seriously. The idea of increasing biblical literacy amongst our youth ministries it has got to be a high priority. And so how do we do that? How do we increase biblical literacy within our youth ministries? I think this is going to sound stupid, but I think it starts with reading the Bible together. Uh, I think it starts with reading the Bible in services together. Uh, you know, if you if you are preaching, make it a point of emphasis that that you have scripture in your message and that you can, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, as awkward as like, hey, it's on the screen, everybody read it out loud together. Like it doesn't have to be that, but it can be you know, you like reading it and you've got it on the screen behind you and like, hey, if you have a Bible, open it up to this book. Uh, you know, it's roughly halfway through your Bible. I always like to joke that like, like I'll have my Bible like, hey, we're going to open up to Matthew. Uh, it's on 900, page 974 in my Bible, but that's not going to do you a whole lot of good because <laughs> you have a different Bible than uh-huh. I do. Uh, but, you know, encourage kids to actually own a physical Bible and open it up. Uh, one of the things that we did with our youth ministry coming into this school year is we allotted financial resources to buy a bunch of Bibles. Like we mentioned a whole bunch of Bibles behind me here on my desk, buying a bunch of those Bibles so that we could give them out to students at no cost to them so that they have a Bible. Uh, I think that that's important. And then outside of services too, I think is, is important to encourage students to read the Bible together. Uh, I was talking to Derek before we hit record here that our youth ministry just started. Uh, we put together a 1000 day Bible reading plan. Uh, and I joked with a lot of days. It is a lot of days. I joked with our students, uh, when we launched it, that I, I, we put a whole lot of time and energy into what we were going to name this 1000 day Bible reading plan. And so we decided to call it Bible in 1000. Uh, which is not creative at all, but I didn't really care. That's not what the purpose was. But the goal of it was if you are a new student who like that, you don't read the Bible very often or ever. This plan averages 31 verses a day. As opposed for to context. Yeah. If you've ever tried to read through the Bible in a year and do one of those plans, you have to read between 80 and 85 verses a day in order to do that. And so 31 verses a day is much more manageable for a seventh grader who doesn't normally read the Bible. Uh, the other thing that, and, and now it's an average. And so a lot of days are in the 40 to 50 range, but the way the plan is set up is that throughout the old Testament, every four or five or six days, 
you're reading is one psalm. A lot of the psalms are like three verses, four yep. verses, five verses. And so that almost creates like a catch-up day. Mm -hmm. If you missed a day, you can use the psalm day to also get caught up on the, yep. you know, the chapter in Exodus that you didn't read. Uh, the other thing that it that we did with this uh you know, with this plan is if you only have to read 31 verses a day, if you are a little bit more mature in your faith, it gives you the opportunity to dive a little deeper into, uh, into the plan. And so you can, you can dive into like some commentaries or some different resources. And we've got links. Uh, if anybody's interested, like Bible in Bible in a thousand dot, dot com. Uh, and it's like Bible in one zero 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 dot com. Uh, you know, it's, it's just a website where it's almost like blog posts every day. The reading for that day gets posted in the resources tab. We've got the entire, like a download of the entire reading guide. Uh, it's all there. And so, uh, if you want to use it with your ministry, by all means go for it. But the goal for us too, is like, this is something we are all doing together. And so it's not necessarily, uh, it, it's not necessarily that like, Yes, you're reading the Bible, but you're also reading the same thing that your friend is reading and the other kid in your youth ministry is reading. And so like you can talk about it and and commune on that level as well. And so uh, that's something that our youth ministry has done. I don't expect every youth ministry to do that. But as youth pastors, I think it's important for us to find ways to, in service, bring the Bible into it and outside of Wednesday nights, bring the Bible into it. It's also kind of crazy to me how there is this train of thought that says, unless you're a pastor, I can't read the Bible. <clears throat> like, I know. It's a train of thought that's about 800 years outdated. Yes. And, you know, there's a <laughs> popular movement that kind of really reinforces that very rationale. Um, you know, and so to me, I think it might it might be so obvious that like you just overlooked it, but like it might be worth sharing the heart with your students, with your ministry, whatever it is that like we all should be reading the Bible. Like, again, that's like so obvious, right? That's so elementary that we don't even think to mention it. But like, if you have people coming to your youth ministry, kids, they might've been coming there for three or four months, loved what you have to say, loved the scripture you use in service, but they maybe have no idea that, they can and should be reading this too, you know? And so like, I love that. And like, I love Kyle that you, I like I was looking at it while you were talking about it. I love the use of commentaries too, because um, like the thing is, is there's so many nuances that scripture has that go right over our head because we're 2000 years removed in a context and a culture and a geography that's way different than they had. 2000 years ago. Like there are just like, I think we've talked about this before too. You know, like when you and I talk about blowing out our driveways, there are certain things that we just like, we just say, Hey, we're blowing out our driveways. If you've been born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia, you're like, what the heck are you talking about? What does it mean to blow out your driveway? Like you just, right. because you're not, <laughs> you've never done that before. Right. And so yep. it's the same thing when Jesus uses these, these, uh, parables, when he makes these references, he's speaking them in a way that there's universal understanding that a lot of us don't have because we weren't there at that time. And so commentaries allow people who are way smarter than you and I, 
who do go there, who do study the culture, who do have, have done archaeological digs, who do. And so they can break things down in a way that you probably didn't understand. And so I love that that allows students to dive into that for themselves because you find a lot of good scriptural truth buried beneath the surface when you start looking for it. Yeah, there's so many people that are so much smarter than us that have already put together some of these things. Uh, get like when it comes to increasing the biblical literacy of the students in your youth ministry, a lot of that is going to come down to just putting good resources in their hands. Uh, put good resources in their hands and inspire them to pursue those. And so, you know, you have to, you, have, you can't just read the Bible. You have to study the Bible. And if you go back to uh, episode 79 was our last episode of season two before we broke for the summer. Like we did a whole episode on how to study the Bible. And there's a bunch of resources that we gave in that episode that I'd highly encourage you to go back and listen to and, and find and, and implement some of those with your youth ministry, because there's great, great resources that are out there. Uh, one of the other things we did, like I mentioned, you know, we bought Bibles for our youth students to have. We actually bought, so I bought a bunch of Bibles with in the message translation because I think it's really important that our students understand what they're reading. Uh, and it was really comical because I gave an example. I believe it was Romans 7, 15 through 19, which is the section where Paul is like, that which I want to do, I don't. And that mm -hmm. I do what I don't want and I want what I don't do. And it's this whole rhetoric of, yep. of back and forth. And I read it in the King James version. And I, I like genuinely struggled hardcore to read it, let alone understand it. Right. And then I read the exact same verses in the message Bible and you could see the light bulbs go off in the mm -hmm. room. Like, oh, that was way more... Mm -hmm. easy to understand. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. And so why did somebody translate it the other way? Mm -hmm. And so I think that making sure that it's, you know, a translation your students can understand is really important, but we also bought some study Bibles that if we've got some students that are a little more advanced then they're like, Hey, like I want to dive a little deeper again, a great resource that, that students can have that'll help them in their, in their study of scripture and their understanding of scripture and so I'd encourage, I mean, if, you, if you've if you got the money in a youth budget, which obviously every youth ministry is overflowing with money. Naturally, of course. Uh, <laughs> you know, like I'd encourage you to make it a priority and, and have some of those resources available uh, for your youth students. I really have nothing else to say. I mean, you, you nailed it. And I think that one thing I would ask is one thing you – probably don't want to do in any of this is just harp on your students. You know, like we are far past the days of where it's like, Hey, listen to what I say and do it. Read the Bible. Yeah. You know, like I think it's not going to work. They're going to be like, okay, now I'm less inclined to do it. Like you, I love Kyle, how you did Like you, you showed them the, tr the, the proof, you know, like this is where it was written in here. Here's written here. And this is why it's important. Like, we have to show the students that like this is important and here's why, you know? And so um, just harping on them is going to be tough. And the same token, like I know a, a few pastors who would look at you and scoff that you got your students a message translation. That's not a real yeah. translation, you know? Like, but here's my caveat to that. What's the alternative? They don't read? Cool, that's better, Right reading a, a translation that's paraphrased is far worse than them not reading at all. Right. Like 
like that's I hate yeah, that's that ridiculous. argument. It's stupid. Like okay, like I'm not my son Ellis. He's starting to read right now. Um, I'm not handing him my Bible. Why? Because he's not ready for it. Because he's gonna rip the pages. Yeah, he did. He <laughs> the, the the print is tiny. Like he can't read. You know, and I know that's an extreme example, but it's like. If you want to take it this direction, he's starting to ride his bicycle too. He's got training wheels on. I didn't stick him on his bike on the first day, rip the training wheels off, push him down the street and say, figure it out, kid. Mm -hmm. What's he going to do? He's going to fall off. He's going to scream. He's going to hate it. He's never want to be on his bike again. If you have students who have never read the Bible before and you throw them the wolf and say, you got to be reading the ESV, got to be reading the NIV, got to be reading the KJV. They'd be like, what the heck are you talking about? what's the difference? You know, Mm. like they don't know any different. You know, what you have to do is you have to get them excited about the fact that God's speaking to them in the Bible. And then when they're done with the trip, when they have a good understanding and foundation, cool, move them to the NIV, move them to the ESV, whatever you want to do, pick your poison. But I hate that argument of like, no, the message can't be done because it's too paraphrased. If that is the stepping stone for somebody, Use it all day long, you know? And like, there's, I don't know. Like I, I just, I can go on a soapbox, but just like, I'm, I am just such a firm believer that, and like on the, on the flip side, I have a student I can think of right now. He prefers the KJV for whatever reason. <laughs> what a stud. He, he just, he gets more <laughs> out of it that way, you know? And so it's like, yeah. quit, quit dying on this hill. of This is the translation that has to be used. Like let your students hear from God in the way they can. And then from there we can teach and we can correct. Yeah. I would, uh, first of all, I believe, I don't know. I have the, I don't have the number in front of me, but we did do a, um, an episode on Bible translations at some point as well. Uh, but we, I I think when it comes to translation of the Bible, the point, the, the important thing is to be, you know, teaching and transparent on that as well with students. Like I'll, I'll tell our students, like the message is a great translation to get you started. It also shouldn't be the one that you use for the next 20 years. You know, there should be a gradual, uh, growth in your faith. And there are things that you can get from, you know, the NIV that you can't get from the message. Uh, there's, there's, you know, idiosyncrasies and there's, you know, small details that, uh, some of those word-for-word translations are going to portray a little bit better. And so I, I do think that that's important to say as well. Uh, but again, a lot of this comes back to, and we mentioned this even last episode with our conversation on the Holy Spirit, this needs to be preached. Mm-hmm. This needs to be, you know, you want to inspire students and show them the why behind studying the Bible and, and gaining biblical literacy. But at the same time, it also has to be taught. Correct. You know, I, I think looking back at this list of of what's a Christian worldview, uh, it's it's all about you know growing in your understanding of what actually is in the Bible. Is the Bible accurate in all of its teachings? Why is that important? Yeah. Teach your students why it's important to believe that the Bible is accurate in all of its teachings. Teach your students why it's important that Jesus lived a sinless life mm-hmm. and not just that Jesus came down and lived on earth. Uh, is it in, is absolute truth defined by the Bible? What would happen if it wasn't? 
Yeah. Well, what does it look like? What if if that wasn't true? What would the world look like? And and why is it important that it is true? And so I think that there's there's that duality of both preaching and teaching that's important. Well done. I I tried to go back and find the translation uh, episode, and I'm kind of. We did a biblical literacy episode like fifty some episodes ago. It's episode thirty. Uh, we did we did it took a little different. Uh, direction of how we kind of, we tried to address the literacy gap a little more in depth. Um, but um, yeah, I should, I am trying to find you again. I'm, I, I, I should have known better than to try and find uh, something <laughs> on, on the fly. That's kind of your, your domain, Kyle, but um, well, just, I'm trying to find the, uh, I, I've got the message Bible out in front of me. Derek and I are trying to, uh, if you know what should start doing, being prepared. Like we should, we should consider doing that. Well, in my defense, this came up uh, spontaneously. Spontaneously, spirit led. Hold on, hold on. So I, I have not spent a whole lot of time with a, uh, with a message Bible open in front of me, and I'm looking at Exodus chapters, you know, eight, nine, ten, eleven, talking about the the, the ten plagues. Mm-hmm. Okay. But they're not plagues in the Message Bible. They are strikes. Oh. Strike four. Strike five. Strike six. Two outs. Strike seven. Like, that's interesting. Who would have thought? But I want to go to, uh, if we go to... uh, I'll look up the King James if I know where you're going. Second Samuel. Oh, maybe not. I'm looking for the... uh, I need a verse that has dimensions in it dimensions for the for the temple oh like somewhere where it would say like oh this is a you know measured 12 ephods or whatever they were the temple work begins here we go this has got to say something about it right then he made two cherubim gigantic and angel-like figures from olive wood each was 15 feet tall. 18? 15, but... What, what verse is that? Uh, First Kings, chapter 7. You know, the message doesn't give specific... It's 23-ish. 23 or 24, probably. He made the sea of cast metal circular in shape, measuring 10 cubits from rim to rim and 5 cubits high. There you go. So 15 feet tall. I think a cubit... I think it's like the tips of your fingers to your elbow, I think is what a cubit is, which is hilarious to me because that's different for everybody. Literally the most like subjective measurement. (laughs) Victor Wembayama's cubit is like my entire height. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) For real. What a mess. Interesting. So yes, the message translation has been verified to translate distances into modern, uh, he said it's modern said 18 feet. 15 feet. 15 feet. I mean, one cubit so one is going to be... Yeah. That's pretty close. I, I would think. I like it. I like yeah. it. And so, I, but that's my point. Like, nobody knows what the heck a cubit no, is. No, heck no. But they know the what message feet are. translation yes, coming in clutch, like, oh, it's about 15 feet. Okay, cool. Yeah. We built this 15-foot angel-like statue or whatever it was. Sick. All we right. get that for your office. I, it wouldn't fit in my office. These are not, you think I got 15 foot ceilings? You have lifted in my ceilings, office? just pull, pull one of the panels off. 
That's true. I could. I don't know how. I don't. I don't think it even goes that high before you hit the roof of the building. Hey, I'm down. That's right. I think that's about enough for today's episode. <laughs> oh boy, that's fun though. We'd highly encourage uh, biblical literacy amongst your youth ministry. Uh, and if you need more resources, we've got plenty of them in prior episodes or Bible in a thousand dot. That does it for today's episode, though. On that note, uh, I'm going to go find some other well-known brands that I mispronounce their names and just completely butcher them. Goodbye. Goodbye.